When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. For so awfully long, and I just try to be. And now, oh, it's a gold mine, but it's so fine. Yes, but I know in my head that we're all so misled, and it's that old sign on the cross that worries me. Now, when I was just a ball and child, I saw what I wanted to be, and it's all for the sake of that picture I should see. But I was lost on the moon, and I heard that front door slam, and that old sign on the cross still worries me. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the Freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining us once again to talk about the mysterious sign on the cross from the legendary basement tape sessions is our friend Elizabeth Sutton. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for coming back. I really enjoyed talking to you in our first episode. Uh, what did we talk? Oh, she belongs to me. That's what we talked yes. about <laughs> so long ago. So, I know. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, this is great. And you, initially, when we talked about you coming back, you had some songs on uh, Blood on the Tracks that we were going to discuss. And of course, you know, any song on Blood on the Tracks is like, sure, of course. <laughs> uh, and then you threw this one in, which is definitely a curveball. Uh, Sign on the Cross. It's a, uh, from as I said, it's from the, uh, the Basement Tape Sessions. And it remained unreleased all the way until 2014 and then it was finally put out as part of the 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 massive bootleg series the basement tapes raw which really which was everything so uh i'm gonna this one wow elizabeth uh this is this is a challenge because this song baffles me in a lot of ways so why did you want to talk about it well it just really there's something about this song that really speaks to me. Um, you know, my husband, Chris plays Bob Dylan all the time. (laughs) And, um, when the big basement tape bootleg came out, we were playing through them a lot. And, you know, there's so much stuff on there. And at one point we were playing through the disc that sign on the cross is on. And when the song ended, I asked him what album that was from and he said it was the basement tapes. And I was like, right, right. But what is the like real album that it's from? Because I was just so new to all this stuff. It's like, no, this is like the only one. And that just completely blew my mind because it's it just clearly felt like a masterpiece, like a classic that surely everyone else knows about. And I'm just kind of catching on to now. And just the fact that it was just one of these basement tape songs and not just the Bob Dylan song, just, I couldn't believe that. (laughs) And so there's just, and I agree. I mean, the lyrics are, it's not an easy song lyrically to like attach to, but there's just something about the music and his voice that I just, it pulled me in and just is my, one of my absolute favorites. I first heard this many, many, oh, good Lord, decades ago, back when I, uh, I'm so old that I had cassettes, and uh, I was trading, uh, well, I shouldn't say trading, it was one person that had a lot more stuff than me, and he was pretty connected to to like the bootleg market, and so he would give me these cassettes, he would dupe cassettes for me of um, just random you know, bootleg material, and this song was on there. 
And wow. uh, I had no warning that this was coming. <laughs> I had no familiarity with it. I knew that the basement tapes, for what we knew existed and what we had heard, that there was tons more out there. But that stuff had not been released yet. And then all of a sudden, I hear this thing, and it was on a cassette, which already sounded kind of crappy because, of course, it had like <laughs> there's the hiss and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And this thing just came out of nowhere. And I was like, wait, what the hell is this? And it didn't even, I mean, to me, it didn't even sound like the basement tapes. I mean, the basement tapes have a very broad sound, but even this sound, I was like, what the hell is this? And I mean, it is, it's, it's a very recognizable vocal by Bob, but yet he's got that almost like he's crying kind of cracked voice to it. And it just, it doesn't sound like any other basement tape song. And then when I went back and then, and I looked up, you know, when, when was this recorded? I mean, of course, this stuff was not, um, uh, you know, they weren't keeping super tight control of like what day this was recorded, but this was around recorded around the same day or the same time that all American boy and I'm in the mood for love. And don't you tell Henry were recorded. And yet mm-hmm. none of the other songs sound like this. Right. So it's like, he comes in, he drops in this vocal. They did it in one take and then never again. And you're just like, what? Okay. Like what? It's yeah. just bewildering. Well, and it's interesting because I think that because I am not religious and I'm not, uh, you know, I don't know a ton about religious text or anything, but that idea just really goes with the song as being religious, that it's, it's almost like a mystical text that it only happened once. We're lucky enough that it was recorded, but it's like, it just exists in this one piece of time. And it's like, it's just up to us to listen to it and decipher it, but there's no real answer because it's not really, it was just a thing they did in the basement. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) Right. And, and contrary to some of the opinion up until before the bootleg series came out, I mean, Bob and the band did not keep everything. Uh, Mm -hmm, There, there, there was stuff that they did that they did not record. And in fact, apparently there's some bootleg out there, um, I don't have the full-on basement tapes bootleg session because I'm not a millionaire, and um, but apparently there's some there's some audio somewhere of um, they're starting a song and Garth Hudson, I guess, who was the one who was kind of most in charge of recording this stuff, starts recording and you hear Bob say, "Garth, don't tape this. You're you're just wasting tape." Which you're <laughs> like, "Oh my god!" You know, like so. I mean, despite don't waste tape, yeah, wait, go ahead, waste tape. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, I mean, despite. All of that's out there, and the the hundred, you know, the the as you mentioned, uh, how much stuff there was to listen to off the bootleg series. They didn't keep everything, so there's mm-hmm. even more stuff. But nevertheless, Bob obviously thought that this was worthy of keeping, and um, you know, he see he continues to sing on. He says, "Well, it's that old sign on the cross. Well, it's that old key to the kingdom. Well, it's that old sign on the cross, like you used to be." But when I hold my head so high and I see my old friends go by, and it's still that sign of the cross that worries me. Now then. As if this song isn't kind of unusual enough, he then breaks into this character, mm-hmm. this kind of preacher, and he changes his voice and he kind of puts this this twang in it a little, and he starts talking directly over kind of the bridge of the song, and he says, "Well, it seems to be the sign of the cross every day, every night. Mm-hmm. See the sign on that cross just laying up on top of the hill. Yes, we thought it might have disappeared long ago, but I'm here to tell you, friends, that I'm afraid it's lying there still." Yes, just a little time is all you need, you might say, but I don't know about that anymore because the bird is here and you just might want to enter it. But of course, the door might be closed. But I just would like to tell you one time, if I don't see you again, that the thing is that the sign on the cross is the thing you might need the most. I mean, 
I never like ascribing um, uh, the creative process to doing uh, mind-altering substances because that feels a little easy. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah. the, the Beatles, they were so high when they did Sgt. Pepper. No, they probably weren't because it took a lot of work to put that together. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. I do get the sense that Bob and the band were just you know, <laughs> flying high over the Rockies when they did this. And this is Bob just sort of muttering, I guess. And it, hopefully it made sense, but it didn't really have to. Yeah, well, and I it I love it because I think it's kind of funny because I just it has such this feeling of like a televangelist mm-hmm. playing over like the low organ and kind of like he's turning to another camera as like an aside of just like <laughs> now let's let's really get down to it and let me tell you about it. It was just so kind of silly and you can like I feel like you can hear him smiling at parts. Oh yeah, 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 and oh. so. It, yeah, I just I would love to know what the other guys' reactions were, if you know, just what that was like, and and what I love about that too is I feel like the song kind of sounds like it's about to end when right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then it is like not even close. It just is about to get so good. Right, <laughs> this just, song is about seven minutes long. I mean, this is one of the longest basement. This might be the longest basement tape song that's out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the televangelist, and I mean, I have not spent uh, very much time watching that kind of nonsense. <laughs> but I will say that that's an interesting observation because if you do, I mean, the people that that do those shows, they know how to get the most out of their audience, i.e., the money, and mm-hmm. they do that thing where they will do kind of the broad, like the the long shot of the guy as he's pacing. And it's always almost always a guy mm-hmm. pacing back and forth and kind of doing the re- And then when he wants to get serious, yeah, then it's like, okay, <laughs> cut the camera too. And he leans in and then it's like, I'm talking to you out there. I can, I can heal your lumbago. If you sell me, send me $20. And that's what exactly. that feels like. That's Bob. I love that idea that yeah, it's Bob. Okay. Camera two. All right, Bob, now we're going to do this. I just might to say it's afraid I'm lying there still. <laughs> and you know, I tried my best to kind of like, work my way into the song because I do love the performance. Mm-hmm. I think the performance is captivating and I always feel a little insecure when I can't figure out, the, you know, not that of course we've spent over a hundred episodes talking about, there is no one definition of any Bob Dylan song. Bob would himself would uh, argue that that's the case. Uh, but I, I, for the long time, I had a hard time figuring it out at all. And then I, I did some research and I looked it up. And f- a couple of things I thought were pretty funny. First of all, when the basement, basement Tape series came out, and there's a lot of articles on, you know, Pitchfork and various other uh, pop culture sites, you know, there were uh, almost every person reviewing this set said, oh, one of the highlights is this Sign on the Cross song. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, everybody really likes this one. And then um, uh, that website I visit a lot by Tony Atwood, BobDylan.co.uk, uh, mm-hmm. he he was like, look, I have no idea what this, this is about. I, I'm clueless. And so I didn't feel so bad. I was like, okay, I, I don't know. I don't know either. And people much smarter than me can't figure it out. So, all right, I can just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, it gives you some more freedom because it's the whole feeling of the song feels, you know, less produced than something that was on a record. And it just kind of has that free vibe that maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about either. It doesn't matter. Right. right. Yeah. After he drops out of the, the, the speechifying, he goes back and he says, yes, the sign on the cross is just a sign on the cross. Well, there is some on every chisel. And there was some in the championship, too. Oh, and you're when your days are numbered and your nights are long, 
You might think you're weak, but I mean to say you're strong. Yes, you are. If that sign on the cross, if it begins to worry you, well, that's all right, because sing a song and all your troubles will pass right on through. Now, in, the, in that, here at the end, first of all, I love the, the, the turn of phrase, uh, when your days are numbered, your nights are long, you might think you're weak, but I mean to say you're strong. That's a wonderful mm-hmm. turn of phrase. That's, uh, you know, if, if they ever wanted to do a series of like, you know, Bob Dylan affirmation uh, postcards, yeah. th- this would be a great line on that because it's, it's really quite delightful to hear have someone say, you might think you're weak, but I mean to say you're strong. And then, of mm-hmm. course, the bit about... You know, all right, because sing a song and all your troubles will pass right on through. Well, that's if if there is, you know, one of the recurring motifs of Bob Dylan's career, it's that the thought of singing a song will get you through your troubles. I mean, it's the blues. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, here we go. I can. All right. I can latch on to that because that's 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 a that's an that's a evergreen statement. Yeah. And really, this song and all of the basement tapes, but this song in particular just took a whole new meaning for me when Chris and I visited Big Pink in April. Oh wow! You d- you went to Big Pink? We did. We spent two nights at Big Pink. Wait a minute. Hold on. Wait. You can <laughs> stay at Big Pink? You can. It's what? Not cheap, but it's basically um, yeah, it's kind of an Airbnb type of situation. Oh my! This is all new information. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. I oh I gotta write this down. <laughs> That's amazing. It's um yeah, it was absolutely incredible, and I kind of I had been wanting to do that for a couple of years because it was something Chris had talked about, but um, I'd always wanted to surprise him with it because um, I knew he had no idea that you could actually stay there, Gosh, yeah. and um, and it was just a few weeks before Easter. I was um, I've been to their listing hundreds of times just like looking at because they're booked pretty far in advance and just looking for something and we happened to have a long weekend because of easter and that weekend they were free and i booked it and maybe i think it was the day before we left i told chris where we were going oh my god you are the coolest (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, he was very excited. I I felt so sneaky because I painted my nails pink and was wearing pink and <laughs> just was like, I knew he had no idea. And, um, yeah, we flew in to New Jersey and drove up to Big Pink and it was just absolutely incredible. I, I've been to New York City, but I'd never been to upstate New York or right, really right. anywhere close. And, I mean, it was like being on a different planet. It's it was incredible and and i'm i'm from new orleans originally and we live in austin texas now and i've kind of just always been in big cities and this it was so quiet and the further north we got the closer to big pink we got the more isolated it was the landscape was incredible i just felt like i was entering this new world and when we drove up to Big Pink, it looks exactly like it always has. It looks like what you think it does. And I just felt like this must be what religion is like to religious people. <laughs> I just felt like we were coming to this just sacred place. And uh, the, the whole weekend, we we made a massive, like, hundred hundreds of song playlist of 
Bob and the band and big pink music and just played it pretty much 24 seven the whole time. And just, cause the house is huge too. And so it was just the two of us and just wandering around the rooms and, um, we got to spend time in the basement and <laughs> oh my God. it was just like, it was incredible. I, and the basement was even, you know, it was even quieter and it felt enclosed and, it was just like I was near tears. I felt like the whole time it was incredible. I, this yeah. is, I, I, hey, everyone who's listening, Elizabeth did not tell me she did this. So this is all <laughs> new for me. This is, I mean, we're going to go back to talking about Sign on the Cross, but hold on. I have so many <laughs> questions about this because this is, this is just amazing. Like, is it like a museum? Like, is there stuff that, like, um, in, like, are there pictures or what there's pictures there's a lot of elliot landy signed originals around the house wow uh, yeah and because he still lives in the area he lives like down the street apparently Jeez. Um, oh, yeah and um yeah so there's and a lot of uh most of the books and magazines in the house are all about Bob, you know, from various like there's old rolling stones with him on the cover and um and a lot of the furniture is original or they tried to get it of the same era if they didn't have the original. Um, but the biggest thing that just like really moved me was when you first walk in, there's this big window that looks out and with a huge table with a typewriter on it. And anytime you read anything about Big Pink, they talk about, Bob going there in the morning and sitting at this big table in front of a big window and like just typing out a bunch of songs while joints and drank coffee while the band slept. And I was just like, this is incredible. Just sitting at this table, looking at this window and it was really inspiring. And I felt like after, you know, don't look back that whole tour era and then the motorcycle accident and then coming here, I could just really see how it would totally change his perspective and change the pace of everything. Yeah. I mean, for people who don't, I mean, I think anyone who's listening to this knows, but for, for younger people who may not, you know, Woodstock was not Woodstock uh, Mm -hmm. before Woodstock, (laughs) you know, I mean, I mean, Bob and the band and uh, also Dylan's manager, Albert Grossman lived up there. And the point of it was to get away from everything. And the whole reason that they even held the Woodstock festival where they did uh, was to kind of get Bob to participate because they were like, (laughs) okay, we'll put it in his backyard. There's no way he's going to say no. Of course they've learned that Bob Dylan can find many, many ways to say no to, to different things. But that was the, I mean, I think it's even, uh, Robbie Robertson, who was the quote that said, if it wasn't for Albert Grossman, they would be called like the Socrates generation or the Poughkeepsie mm-hmm. generation or something, because it was all about his acts that lived up there. I think Crosby, Stills and Nash lived up there and things like that. So that is I had no idea that you could do that, that you could just rent Big Pink. That's yeah. extraordinary. It was incredible. And, you know, it, it was there was a time um, when we were there one of the nights we were there and it was dark. And so it was to me very dark because I'm just used to city lights and super dark, lots of stars. We could hear like an owl, which I don't think (laughs) I've ever heard in real life before. What's that thing? (laughs) Yeah. And we had kind of the back porch door open where we had the music playing 
And uh, I Shall Be Released started playing and Sign on the Cross came after it. And oh, it just felt boy. like this is it was so real. It just was this is where this happened and where this music was made. I've never really experienced anything close to that before. And it just the Sign on the Cross went from being like a really an amazing song to like a piece of like religious material to me that it's like something I go back to when I hear it. I feel like I'm back there and back in the basement. It was just incredible. That, that is, I am I'm, I'm speechless. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's, that's an amazingly cool trip to take uh, and all props to you for, for putting that together and, and managing to, to sucker Christopher before he knew where he was going. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's just, I would love to do such a, I mean, the only thing I could even remotely even, and this is a 1% of what you're talking about, but like I have stood on the spot where they shot the cover to free wheel and Bob Dylan. I mean, I've been there oh, that's cool. and you know, I'm just like, wow, like the guy literally stood here and did this and shot this iconic photo. And this is where it is. That's yeah. just kind of amazing. So that's, that, that's, that's amazing. That's, Oh, I, I don't even have any other words other than just <laughs> all credit to you. I think that's a, that's a wonderful sounding experience to have. Yes, it was for sure. No, yeah. uh, I did. You know, when I was looking up this song and, and something I didn't know about was that, of course, Hank Williams, which was one of Bob's you know, huge fan of Hank Williams. Uh, Hank Williams had his own religious character that he would put on and do right. you know, records called Luke the Drifter. Um, there's a, there's an entire album of basically Hank Williams doing spoken word kind of religious homonyms and things as this character, Luke, the drifter. Mm -hmm. And so I think about, well, is this just Bob's version of Luke, the drifter? He's just putting on, I mean, we know that Bob has mentioned, I think in interviews, uh, one of his favorite films is Elmer Gantry starring Burt Lancaster, which is about a religious guy, like a revival tent kind of guy. And so I could see the Bob that, you know, that kind of stuff interests him. Uh, yeah. And so you could see that this is his version of that. Now you wonder why when it came time to compile this album, it was left off. I mean, maybe they just thought it was too strange. And I mean, they were, you know, the basement tapes when they were released in finally in 1975, there was some commercial considerations uh, mm -hmm. put together. A lot of the songs that were on there were ones that were pretty famous already, ones that had been covered by other people. And maybe they just thought this is just too, too strange. But uh, I mean, it, yeah, it could have just been, this is, you know, Bob just putting on his Hank Williams hat uh, metaphorically for a moment and, and giving something a try. And maybe doesn't, as mm -hmm. you say, it's really more about the mood and the feeling. It doesn't have to make any literal sense. Yeah. And I really feel with all of the basement tapes, I mean, it has such a like kind of camaraderie feel to it. And, you know, it's where they recorded, they all sat in a circle <laughs> fairly close together. It's really not this physical space isn't that big. Um, and thinking to other recordings before this, where they would have been in a studio, maybe doing things separately. Mm -hmm. And here they in a circle with their instruments, making eye contact. And this is, you know, there's an organ and has these religious kind of feelings. And I just feel like this is kind of their equivalent of like standing in a circle, holding hands and praying. Mm. They're just communing with each other. I feel like with Bob smiling, I imagine there was some kind of, you know, not laughter necessarily, but they thought it was, his voice was funny or right, they were right. all just feeling it. And obviously 
Um, there is a part where you can kind of hear him say something in the background. Yes. And I can't, I've never been able to quite make it out. I haven't either, but I did read, there's a book called Million Dollar Bash, um, that's about the basement tape. Right. The Grill Marcus book. Yeah. Right. And he, he says, and what, that at that moment, it's Bob indicating that the song is about to change. He doesn't say (laughs) what he is saying, but that's what his, I don't know how he knows that, but it's just like, okay. So they're all just kind of going with it and it feels so organic and it just, it's unbelievable that this thing that they were just kind of doing is this song, Sign on the Cross, that is a masterpiece. Yeah, I think the only band members on the song are, you mentioned the HUD, the uh, the organ, and that's Garth, that's Garth Hudson playing, and then the mm-hmm. guitar is, is Robbie Robertson. I don't even know if the other band members are even on this. They may have uh, been still asleep or completely stoned or just, <laughs> or just wandering around, you know? I mean, just kind of standing there and hoping you don't, like, knock something over and ruin the take or whatever. But, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it is... Um, I have I don't I have no idea what the sign on the cross is like I don't know what that I mean that's the hook of the song the sign on the cross mm-hmm. I mean I'm guessing it's just it's meant to mean just some sort of indicator of something that is troubling uh, you know yeah. and, but other than that I've never been able to like okay I don't know what what uh, what that really even means yeah and I think it's you know because I went through and this song I is. You know, a lot of the songs that are on the Bob Dylan website, the lyrics are off. And this one has one of the more egregious of the lyrics being <laughs> right. wrong website, which makes it a little even that much harder to kind of get through what is happening. But, you know, when you I think the sign on the cross, when you look at the lyrics, it means I think it's something that can mean anything. It means a lot of things like anxiety, hope, fear. It just kind of is this idea. And, you know, I don't know why he chose sign on the cross to be this representation of things. Um, but it's just kind of, I feel like it's a placeholder for different feelings and the unknown and just all kinds of things, whatever you want it to be really. Yeah. I mean, you have to know that when you put the word cross uh, in your song, it's going to immediately give it that religious, uh, mm-hmm. you know, connotation. You can't help it. I mean, that's that's what else is. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean to be a religious record. Although we do know that I read that Bob had a um, like a relatively ornate uh, book stand in either his house or Big Pink, and there was mm-hmm. a big Bible that they just kept out. And so he was yeah. always referring to, you know, lines from the Bible and things like that. And so, uh, you mentioned the website. Yeah. I mean, as no surprise to anybody, the song has been played zero times live. <laughs> um, so I mean, they did it this one, they really did it this one time. Bob put on this kind of sing songly crackly voice and then never again. And it was just forgotten and packed away and then, and left, uh, to, uh, just sort of gather dust. And you mentioned that the lyrics are a little off. And I, re- I remembered reading about that part of the reason that some of these songs, these basement tape songs, have very strange copyright dates. Um, because, like, I think it's I'm Not There is copyrighted 1973. And you're like, well, why would it be copyrighted? And they said, well, simply because they handed these tapes over to somebody in an office somewhere. And they were like, okay, transcribe the lyrics and register these songs with the, you know, the American songwriters union. And I mean, good Lord, try and transcribe. I'm not there. 
What are, right. what are you going to do? It's all a bunch of gibberish. And so maybe this song is another one of those where the, the guy typing it out was just like, I don't know. Front door slam. All right. That's good. You know what I mean? Like, what, what do you want me to do? I, I don't know what he's saying. Yeah. Well, and it's, uh, I usually am kind of annoyed by that, but in the basement tape songs, I feel like that's part of it. It's mm-hmm. like, if, you know, if Bob Dylan and the band didn't, you know, think it was important enough to write down the exact lyrics and make sure it was documented, then I feel like I don't need to think it's right. That yeah. Important. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm hearing the song. That's what they did. And that's all there is. And that's fine. I, Cause I do, I just think it adds to the mysticism of it. And it's like a mystery that can never quite be solved. Yeah. I mean that when I, uh, you know, I listened to the song and I, again, I did some research on it and they were talking about how that, that, that interstitial part where he's being the preacher is, is something you heard on a lot of quote unquote race records uh, from the twenties, thirties and forties, which were uh, records aimed exclusively at the African-American market. And they didn't have such sophisticated terms going into market, but they were, they were aimed at African-Americans made by African-Americans. And when I, I did, I did some good cursory looking at race records and it was sort of funny that the first race record I saw uh, as a graphic on Google was by Ma Rainey, who of course is name checked in tombstone blues. So I mean, this is, this, this is Bob. Yeah. This is, this guy was just a a record sponge. I mean, anyone who's ever listened to one or two episodes of theme time radio hour knows that as well, that this Mm -hmm. is, this is a guy that just has listened to everything. He, every piece of vinyl he could get his hands on when he was a child up until I guess presumably today he just listens to everything, and this has got a little bit of that in there too. It's got it's got some Hank Williams, it's got these race records, it's got Bob just pouring out this stuff that he'd been listening to, and then doing it up and doing his own version of it. And yeah, it doesn't, as you say, it doesn't have to make sense, and the words don't even necessarily matter in this case. It really is just the the mood that he's trying to bring out in you. And again, the first time I heard this song on a crappy cassette. Uh, with the the front end of it a slightly slipped off and and all the audio hiss, but I still loved it because it was just like it just doesn't sound like anything else. Yeah, and and I think it's amazing too that it it's a song that conveys so much pain and kind of like ecstasy too. Mm-hmm, I mean, some, mm-hmm. it sounds like he can barely get out some of this these lyrics. He's just he can hardly handle it, but in reality you know he was this was presumably a fairly happy time in his mm-hmm. life right and so and that's just kind of it sounds like this is coming from a man who's in the like depths of despair and it's like no he's newly married has a young family you know so it's just it's amazing to me that he can have this song has so many emotions in it and presumably they were just like probably stoned drunk <laughs> having fun and i just imagine as soon as the song was over they just went and had more fun you know yeah. they didn't like wow that was really incredible they just moved on yeah bob has said that uh he did in an interview he did later on he said that that, that was the most ideal way to make music uh because mm-hmm. there was no there was a dog lying around we know bob loves dogs as he said there's a dog <laughs> lying on the floor and uh just just friends and merriment and just a relaxed nature i mean as, as much as it was a kind of relaxed atmosphere and, and uh, they could record it if they wanted to or, or not, at the same time, it's got to be – it must have been rewarding to be making – to be creating something with people that are at their creative peak 
uh, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly, uh, maybe even if not they're at their creative peak, but people that really had the chops. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the organ playing in this and the guitar playing by Robertson and, and Hudson is stellar. Uh, on this right. record and we know that there are other songs that they they took a little more of the lead and there are other ones where bob is definitely the the driving force of this but i mean their accompaniment to him on this which as you mentioned like he talked in the middle of the song he starts giving them instructions to be able <laughs> to be able to follow that and still keep your kind of train of thought and be able to 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 still be able to play this beautiful music it's like this is the thing where it's more than the sum of its parts. You know, it's like individual, it's all great, but together these guys are achieving something transcendent. Yeah. And I think really the whole situation at big pink is really any artist's dream because, you know, Bob Dylan had was able to get to a point in his career where he could have these guys on retainer and just basically (laughs) pay them to do what they do best and not really worry about other stuff. And he was doing the same thing and, and it didn't last very long because that's, you know, that is just kind of a dream, but they were able to do it. And I mean, it's just incredible that they were able to get everybody together at the right time, be in this magical place and just, get this out is amazing yeah it's 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 a truly extraordinary song and uh if uh, like me out there you don't have the full-on basement tape set because it's so ridiculously expensive you can get this song individually on itunes it is available by itself so uh and i recommend that you do and of course like for every episode i have a link to apple music where you can buy this song and i absolutely am sure elizabeth and i recommend that you do so because it's it's a it's it's you know it's so funny and i don't mean to get too far off this as we're wrapping up but it's it's these bootleg series releases they really make you recontextualize what you know about the man's music because if Mm -hmm. all you know is the released stuff uh you're already well this is a brilliant artist you know i mean the stuff he's put out and then you hear all this other stuff and you go god i am i i don't know do i have the full picture if i haven't heard blind willie mctell or series of dreams or sign on the cross mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's like you think you do have the complete picture and then you hear something you go i know i think every bob dylan fan needs to hear sign on the cross and it, it he keeps kind of moving the goalposts on you a little bit you keep thinking okay i've got a good handle on what he's done as a recording artist and then oh by the way here's this masterpiece that's been laying in a vault for 50 years like oh well all right i got i gotta i gotta move my i gotta make room in my brain for this now yeah well and what's really striking to me too is i mean i personally kind of got into bob dylan via his lyrics and you know he won the nobel prize of literature you think of him as a poet this amazing writer and then sign on the cross is not one of those songs where you latch onto the lyrics and get into it from there. And it, the song just really that and something like I'm not there, you know, it just proved to me that it with him, it doesn't always matter if the lyrics make sense. Cause he is not just a writer. He is much more than that. And he can create the feeling he wants with music, not just lyrics. Absolutely. Yeah, that is that's absolutely true. Uh, I, I, I keep getting off on these diversions as we're trying to wrap up. But uh, an episode I did way back, the the um, it was sort of funny that just three episodes ago we did a Basement Tape song. And then before that, it was like 90 episodes before we did a Basement <laughs> Tape song. So now they're kind of clumping together. But uh, the first Basement Tape song I covered, which was You Ain't Going Nowhere, uh, which is one of my favorite Dylan songs, period. 
Uh, and it, that's another song that lyrically doesn't have a whole lot going on, but it's the exuberance of the performance. You know, mm-hmm. a, a fish that walks and a dog that talks. Like, this is just gibberish. This is just a <laughs> bunch of nice-sounding syllables. But when you hear a human being say them out loud in this way, it conveys a feeling that you can't put into words. And mm-hmm. it, that, that's what's going on here. This is, of course, much darker. But it's that same kind of feeling. Of, like, yeah, I can't put my finger on what it is. I don't know what a sign on the cross is, but I know that it stirs something in me. And yeah, that's absolutely Elizabeth. He's not just a writer. He he's he's the complete thing. He's giving you the writing and then the performance. And that's uh said it's an extraordinary piece of music. So um I guess that is gonna do it for Sign on the Cross. Elizabeth, I always enjoy talking to you. And so I really thank you for coming back on the show. Well thank you so much for having me. I mean it's I could talk about Bob Dylan for a long time. So it's always good. Always good to come back. <laughs> Thank you so much. And of course, now, not that not that I don't want to suggest at all that this is any sort of sacrifice on my part. It is not. But now that I've had you on the show twice and I've had your <laughs> husband on once, that means I have to have Christopher on soon because I don't want there to be any marital discord or jealousy about you know, <laughs> racking up appearances. I, I want things to be equitable. So Chris, I'll have true. Christopher back on as soon as possible. Well, thank you. All right. Very good. So uh, where can people find you on the internet? Um, let's see. I am on uh, Twitter. It's uh, Elizabeth. Oh, actually, I believe it's Elizabeth underscore Dixon or it's Elizabeth Dixon. <laughs> I should probably have that on hand. Well, we'll uh, have that in the show notes so people can find you as well. So absolutely. But that's where I'm most um, active. So that's the best place. All right. Very cool. So uh, of course, uh, if you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on uh, Stitcher or on Apple Podcasts. And uh, we're always talking uh, Bob over on Twitter, which is at pod underscore Dylan. And if you want to leave a comment about this show or any of the episodes of Pod Dylan, go to our website, firewaterpodcast.com. Now, uh, before I sign off, I do have to mention this. Uh, this is uh, this is my first episode that I've recorded since we launched our Fire and Water Podcast Network Patreon. Uh, it has been literally years in the making and oh, so many fights, but we finally got the, the Patreon, Patreon up and running. Uh, the network has been costing us kind of more and more money as we go on, and we finally decided to say, well, let's see if we can get people to chip in so that way we don't have to keep sort of paying out of pocket for the hosting costs. I mean, part of it is uh, all modesty aside, we're sort of victims of our own success is that the more bandwidth that you use up, uh, the more it costs. And the reason we use up so much bandwidth is because we have a lot of people that listen to our shows, and which is a wonderful thing, but it does cost money. And so we are now saying if you can, uh, if you can uh, reasonably afford it, uh, we would love it if you could come to patreon.com slash FW podcasts and uh, pledge uh, you can, there's different levels that you can pledge. Sometimes you can get rewards. Sometimes it's just, just give us like a dollar a month or something, just something to indicate that you, uh, value what we do and you want to contribute to it and you want to keep it going. And I know that there, I've looked at the numbers and there is not a lot of crossover between Pod Dylan, the audience for Pod Dylan and the rest of the network, because, uh, other than my pal Ryan Daly's uh, music show, most of the stuff is about comic books and movies. And there isn't just a whole lot of crossover there. But nevertheless, anyone who enjoys this show should know that there would be no Pod Dylan if not for the Fire and Water Podcast Network because uh, I had a place to put this show and I had a supporter group of friends that were willing to kind of let me go further out in terms of what we kind of cover. And and uh, so 
If you enjoy Pod Dylan, I would really appreciate it if you would consider going to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts and making a pledge, a monthly donation. That would really, really help. And for those of you who are worrying that, oh, God, is he going to end every episode this way? Don't worry. The answer is yes. <laughs> yes, I am. So we'll have that link in the show notes. So once again, Elizabeth, thank you so much. I really enjoy talking to you. And uh, that big pink trip is just extraordinary. Uh, it's just <laughs> a wonderful you. thing. So that that's awesome. So again, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, until the next episode, we will see you later. Bye. I try Oh, so awfully strong And I just Try to leave And I hope It's in the cross that worry